The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. We're following a developing story, this one out of Colleton County. It's 4147 Moselle Road. I've been up to it now. It's bad. Double homicide involving a mother and son. Both deaths resulting from apparent gunshot wounds. In this town, nobody questioned the Murdochs for 100 years. You know, powerful people make powerful enemies. You commit a murder in the 14th Circuit, the odds of you going to death row are high. From the studios of WCIV ABC News 4 in Charleston, this is the podcast Unsolved South Carolina, case file number one, The Murdochs. Sometimes their reputation is so good, so above of uh, any type of um, suspicion. They have everything to lose. You hear that a lot. Well, why would he do it? Yes, oh, he had a, uh, a million reasons to do it. Have you ever watched the movie To Catch a Thief? It's a Hollywood classic. 67 years old, but still, it's playing on endless repeat on a dozen streaming channels. To Catch a Thief was filmed on the decadent French Riviera. There were fast cars, fast money, and bona fide stars. The beautiful Princess Grace Kelly of Monaco, dripping in diamonds, a suave, debonair Englishman, Cary Grant, a notorious jewel thief, and of course, the brilliant Alfred Hitchcock. I couldn't help to think, what would Hitchcock, the master of suspense and horror, make of the thievery brought on by the Murdoch murders and mayhem? Sometimes the person is of such high rank that it appears that, well, must be legitimate. It can go on for many years until something dramatic happens. It's nice to catch a crime before there are so many victims. The two were found Monday evening at a home along the 4100 block of Moselle Road. Meet private investigator Frank Worrell. W-O-R-R-E-L-L. He has a very large resume filled with catching very good thieves. 22 years with the FBI, six years with Treasury. After unraveling crimes, including disastrous Ponzi schemes, he now works in the private sector right here in Charleston, South Carolina. We do financial forensic investigations along with general investigations with Quick Group. Now he and his partners at the Quick Group try to stop trouble before it starts. A job not for the faint-hearted or by the sounds of it, the mathematically disinclined. It's tedious. And a lot of times these 
uh, individuals that commit these frauds have multiple accounts. So it's it's not hard to do. It's not compl- It's not rocket science, but it is uh, a meticulous uh, tracing of the funds and demonstrating where the illegal money is going. In high-profile cases, like the one we're now focused on, a powerful lawyer, Alec Murdoch, backed by a crumbling family dynasty, has, or rather had, friends in high places. Did you speak with any of the family members of uh, Gloria Satterfield during your representation of the estate as the PR? No, sir. That's Chad Westendorf. He's the vice president for Palmetto State Bank, a family-run bank based in Hampton, the heart of Murdoch territory. He's speaking to attorney Eric Bland, explaining his role in what we now know was a multi-million dollar insurance fraud and money laundering scheme. Bland's clients, the sons of Gloria Satterfield, were the targets. Alec Murdoch was arrested months ago, accused of orchestrating it all. But glaring details about the case beg the question, did he have help? In the last two months, we've gotten closer to an answer. In March, Murdoch's longtime friend and fellow lawyer, Corey Fleming, was hit with criminal charges, saying he played a prominent role in the thefts and the deceit. Then in April, the grand jury indicted Westendorf's old boss at the bank, Russell Lafitte. He's accused of helping Alec Murdoch in theft schemes dating back a decade. And a circuit court judge, Carmen Mullen, she's also under scrutiny for her possible involvement in all this as well. Now, all this dirty laundry was aired very publicly in February when Eric Bland deposed the banker, Chad Westendorf, as part of the Satterfield family's pending lawsuit against Alec Murdoch. Please raise your right hand to be sworn. Do you solemnly swear the testimony you are about to give should be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Yes, ma'am. In this deposition, Westendorf tells Bland Alec asked him personally to represent the Satterfield sons as the manager of their mother's estate. Gloria Satterfield was the Murdoch's longtime housekeeper. She died as a result of a fall at Alec's house in 2018. Taking advice from Alec himself, Satterfield's sons filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Murdoch after their mom died, lured by Alec's promise of insurance settlements that would leave the family very well off financially. But Gloria's sons never saw one red set of the $4.3 million in settlement money Murdoch's insurers paid out. They never even knew about it. As a court-appointed personal representative for the family, communicating with the Satterfield sons, sharing details about settlements, making sure they got their money, well, that was precisely Chad Westendorf's job. How many times did you meet with Tony Satterfield or Brian Harriet? I didn't. So what happened? In an hours-long deposition, Westendorf sheds harsh light on the extent of Alex's deception, his own ignorance, the role of Corey Fleming, and how Judge Mullen fits in. Nobody told you, like Corey didn't tell you, hey, I'm going to keep the boys abreast. No, sir. You realize that the boys are, are real live people. Sure. Okay. And that they have a right to know if money's recovered in connection with their mother's death, what, what that amount was, right? Certainly. Repeatedly, you'll hear Chad Westendorf admit he did not fulfill his role as a personal representative 
to Satterfield's sons. In fact, it appears in the deposition Westendorf was unaware what a PR was. Was it out of his own professed ignorance and trust in Alec Murdoch and his friends? Again, those friends in high places. Here's our fraud hunter to break it down with me. Do you have like stereotypes of the kind of people that do massive financial no. fraud? No, no. And, and that's what allows these schemes to go on. Although there are red flags that come up with individuals with, you know, if they're living way beyond their means. That a lot of these are very flashy, but there is, is there a type? There isn't a type. You could, yeah, bank tellers, they all look alike, but they, you'll have one that cannot be around money. Which leads me to think, you know, as a con artist or a scam artist or whatever, you know, they end up being, to be able to convince others to be part of this scheme without, whether or not they knew what they were getting themselves into, um, how does, how does that work? I mean, well, like, some how? of it is the lure of money, simple greed or the need for money where you think, I, I think on some of these individuals that become conspirators, co-conspirators in a scheme, a lot of times it starts off with helping a friend. Then, well, I need a little money. I'll, I'll do it. I'll think, I'll rationalize that this is a legitimate transaction. These individuals that are co-conspirators start out thinking the best, but at some point during the scheme, they have to know that this is a fraud, that victims are not getting paid back, that uh, financial institutions aren't being paid. At some point, even they know. And you heard Corey Fleming, through his lawyers, say, I was duped. You've heard that, right? Again, Bland trying to break through the monosyllabic answers from an obviously confused Westerndorf. Have you heard that Corey Fleming, through his attorneys, Corey hasn't spoken, because, okay. but Corey's attorneys have said, he was a victim. He was victimized by Alec. Alec, who dude him? That he was um, unwary or ignorant that Alex wasn't actually doing anything with Fords. There wasn't a Fords. I mean, the whole concept, think about this, that you're letting the defendant, Alec Murdoch, have these discussions with supposedly Forge and setting up the structure when he's the defendant. Doesn't that strike you as a conflict of interest or crazy? Forge, a bank account for a fictional LLC. Prosecutors say Alex set up to mimic a real settlement firm called Forge Consulting. A lot of times these, um, the bad guys will open up their own LLCs. It will look like a legitimate business, but it's money going into that business that doesn't exist. And then checks coming out to the bad guy. Acting as a boy's representative and under the direction of Corey and Alec, Westendorf says he just signed checks over. One after another to Alec's bogus forge account. Here's Westendorf trying to keep up with the accounting in the Satterfield settlement under Bland's examination. $403,500 was already sent to forge 
we saw that check. Yes, sir. Which leaves $101,500. Where was the $168,000 of attorney's fees going to come from? That's where you just see Westendorf shaking his head at Bland. Then you signed and approved $105,000 of prosecution expenses. And you're saying, I fully understand and approve the above disbursements. What did you do to avail yourself that there was $105,000 of, of expenses? And if you approved 11-5, and I'm, I know it's embarrassing for you and it's painful, but if you approved the 11-5 on January 7th, right? Yes. Of expenses. Yes, sir. How was there an additional 105000 between January of 2019 and the May 13th, 2019 hearing? No idea. It, it's not credible. It's not. There wasn't, there wasn't ongoing litigation. There wasn't depositions. Um, uh, the, the estate wasn't paying Corey by the hour. He was taking a contingency fee up top. You see his contingency yes, fee. And where, where, where does that, how does that make sense? Other than it's just Corey stealing. It doesn't make sense. And what Westendorf says happened behind closed doors in a judge's chambers that allowed these millions of dollars to end up with Alec, the judge who handled the Satterfield insurance settlements was Carmen Mullen. This judge had recused herself from hearing the wrongful death lawsuit after that boating accident in which 19-year-old Mallory Beach died. Paul Murdoch was charged with boating under the influence and his father, Alec, and his brother Buster named co-defendants. Mullen claimed a conflict of interest. However, Judge Mullen did not recuse herself from the Satterfield lawsuit, despite Alec Murdoch being named as a defendant once again. In his deposition, Bland asks if Mullen did her due diligence, making sure Westendorf was doing his job to protect the Satterfield boys' interests. Did Judge Mullen ask you, do you think this is a fair settlement? She did not. Did she ask you, are you satisfied with the services of your attorney? I don't believe so. I don't remember Meaning much. Meaning Corey Fleming. Yeah, I don't believe, I'm, did I she don't much, much conversation between Judge Mullen and myself. In fact, Westendorf testifies that Mullen, Fleming, and he met outside the courtroom where she allows Murdoch's name to be removed altogether from the case after the larger of two settlements came in. Did it strike you funny when Judge Mullen said we're going to change the caption and take Alex's name off? I didn't know that happened until you just told me. Well, you said there was a discussion in front of... Uh, Not about taking the caption off. The only discussion we had was he claimed or he told Judge Mullen that he would that Alex's attorneys would appreciate or would not want her to file the order at this time. I didn't know anything about a caption. According to Westendorf, the judge allowed Corey Fleming to not even file the paperwork with the clerk of court. The question is why? Here's Bland taking Westendorf to task again. Judge Mullen knew that that order was not going to be filed. Yeah. And the reason was because of the Mallory Beach case, because of the public scrutiny that was attached to it at that time, and Mark Tinsley suing uh, Alec and Paul. Paul had not died yet, and the, uh, the convenience store parkers and some other people. Is that correct? I believe so. Okay. For his part, Bland turned this video deposition 
over to the Office of Disciplinary Counsel and Commission on Judicial Conduct. The solicitor for the first judicial court, David Pasco, he followed up with counsel in a letter asking for an investigation into Mullen's conduct. In Pasco's letter, he says this is the second time he's filed a complaint against this judge, the first in April 2019. Now, if Westendorf's testimony is true, it spells major trouble for Mullen. A judge is not obligated to file an order, but the concern is the motive behind it in this case. And Corey Fleming, first his law license was suspended. Now? Mr. Fleming now has been added uh, as a defendant in this particular indictment, and his charges and penalties are as follows. The allegations here show an ability to um, abuse the system in a very complex manner. And that South Carolina state prosecutor, Creighton Waters, at Fleming's bond hearing back in March after he was charged with 18 crimes tied to the Satterfield case. We are making a special appearance on behalf of Corey Fleming today. I have personally known him for more than 30 years, and I can tell you it is my honor to represent him today. Fleming's lawyer, Deborah Barbier, spoke on his behalf with Fleming's family at her side. She paints him as remorseful and committed to doing the right thing. She reminds the judge Fleming paid back his share of the takings soon after the thefts came to light and even claims he's been cooperating with investigators. First of all, I want to make clear that uh, Mr. Fleming um, has not in any way cooperated with this investigation and as much as that may have been implied. Fleming faces over a dozen charges, only outdone by the 70 plus against Alec Murdoch money laundering, to computer crime, to conspiracy to commit fraud. The list goes on. Here's private investigator Frank Worrell again, giving his take on why prosecutors seem to be casting such a wide net with these multi-count indictments. Is it that net of all of the different levels of financial crimes that go into one indictment that, that's important yeah. to make it simple? Well, uh, they'll go with their best counts, but they'll have multiple counts. In case one is hard to prove or hard for a jury to understand, or there's a decent defense against it. Uh, but more often than using it as strategy, you want to show the complete fraud that occurred or the, 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 all the different things. So it builds up, again, in an indictment. Again, you're, you're trying to avoid trial. You're trying to convince uh, the bad guy, we have you. We have you doing it this, not once, not twice, 83 times you did this, and we have you on this, and you prove up your case. This is why you need very good, thorough investigation, where it's, you'll often see uh, them plead. Now, Alec has already admitted to stealing the $4.3 million from Satterfield's family. And he's agreed to give their money back, at least on paper. That's if he has any money left once all debts are paid and other victims of other crimes get their cut of Alex's assets. But right now, the disgraced Hampton lawyer faces at least 73 criminal charges. His sentences for all those if convicted could surpass 700 years in prison from the Satterfield case and several others where he's accused of swindling his own clients out of nearly $9 million. With bail set at $7 million and all of his cash and assets basically frozen, Alec isn't getting out of jail anytime soon. 
Murdoch's alleged co-conspirators Corey Fleming and Russell Lafitte are out of jail after their bonds were set considerably lower, but both still face more than 20 felony charges apiece, and both have lost their jobs. And Chad Westendorf, he still has his job as vice president of Palmetto State Bank. He also has his freedom, not charged with any crimes yet. In the Hollywood film, To Catch a Thief, we hear from the thief why he steals. Of course, he tells us with the backdrop of some fabulous French villa eating quiche Lorraine, chatting with none other than an insurance company agent from Lloyd's of London, the same insurance company that Alec Murdoch managed to reap millions from in the Satterfield scheme. Yet this thief was just playing the thief, decidedly not behind jail bars like Alec now sits. Yet the psychology of stealing rings true here. I had my colleagues play the thief and the insurance agent. They're not quite Cary Grant, but you'll get the drift. How did you, I mean, why did you? Why did I take up stealing? To live better, to own things I couldn't afford, to acquire this good taste, which you now enjoy and which I should be very reluctant to give up. Oh, you mean you were frankly dishonest? I tried to be. You know, I thought you'd have some defense, some tale of hardship. Your mother ran off when you were young, your father beat you, or something. No, no. For what it's worth, I only stole from people who wouldn't go hungry. And just like that, our fantastic Hollywood analogy, well, it dissolves. Because unlike Cary Grant, Alec Murdoch is not even acting like a toned-down Robin Hood. Many of his alleged victims desperately needed a lawyer, and a good one, to right the wrongs of life, to make sure the suffering would end, instead of prolonging it. They do it once, and it's not caught, it's probably never going to get caught. If they do it over and over and over, eventually uh, it gets caught. And I know of very few that stop. is facing uh, criminal charges of the likes that, you know, only uh, uh, someone who commits a number of crimes uh, faces those kind of charges. Uh, very rarely in our state's history, I don't think has anybody been indicted as much as he has, and I don't think it's over. Unsolved South Carolina was brought to you by me, Ann Emerson, along with producer Drew Trupp and editor Daniel Michener. Original music by Maxwell Harrison. Coming up, June 7th marks one year since the double homicide at Moselle. Are we any closer to figuring out who killed Paul and Maggie Murdoch? What did Sled do? They went on this river, on this patch of river. They were diving down there. Oh, the river had uh, Murdoch property on it. If you were going to put a boat or a kayak in, that's where you would do it. Um, and, of course, if you're, you're coming away from a murder scene, you can find the nearest bridge and toss your gun off the bridge. If you enjoyed listening today, please consider rating and reviewing. It goes a long way to help others discover this podcast.